great future. We're talking real money. It's that time again. Time for another exciting edition of the Talking Real Money podcast. I'm Don McDonald. Thanks for listening. And please tell other people because you know, with a podcast, why keep it to yourself? It's sort of there's an infinite supply of them. People are listening all over the world. Seriously, they are. So uh, thanks for listening. And if you have questions, I'd love to try and answer them for you at 855-935-TALK, where you can leave it on the message machine, or go to TalkingRealMoney.com and type it in, or record your question right there, because we have a cool little button that allows you to record your question on your computer, and it comes to me. Okay? And we're going to take... Phone questions, written questions, all kinds of questions a little later in the podcast. But I want to start today with a topic that is getting a lot of press in the financial media because it's sort of a geeky topic, but it's this it's something that we fervently believe, and yet people like to take the more recent past and twist it into a new narrative. Now, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about what's called evidence-based or science-based investing. And that is investing based on research that has shown things like, that, has shown, that they've shown some factors, some um, dimensions, <laughs> thus the name dimensional funds, dimensions of return, things that add risk and have added return over many, many, many years. And over the past 13 years or so, those segments of the market that have tended to outperform have underperformed. Talking primarily about value stocks, undervalued companies, and small company stocks, small cap stocks. They have underperformed. Now, actually, the reality is different. They haven't actually underperformed their norms. And get this, this is from David Booth at Dimensional Funds. From 2009 through 2019, that 10-year period where value is dramatically underperformed, supposedly, actually, value has kept right in line with its traditional, its historical 90-plus-year average. For the past 10 years, value stocks have returned on average about 12.9% per year. That is really respectable. The average is about 12.7. So value stocks haven't actually underperformed. They've performed where the numbers get skewed and make it look like they've underperformed is that growth stocks, those with rising earnings, and these are the um, the the big tech stocks, these have exceeded their average. Their average is 9.7% per year, historically over 90-some-odd years, versus their 10-year number the past decade, of 16.3%. So it's not that value has underperformed. It's that growth has outperformed. And that, folks, is actually normal. And here's the problem. 
Right now, a lot of people are saying, well, that value small cap tilt, that just doesn't work anymore. Here's what's going to happen. A lot of people, after a decade or more of it not doing what they hoped it would do, will change. And they'll switch. This is what individual investors do. They lose their discipline. They will tend to move all their money into the high-performing growth stocks because, well, everybody else is doing so well in them. Misspeaking, misthinking. They're not doing well. They have already done well. Have already done well. And you'll be moving from from an asset that has been cold to one that has been hot. And let me give you an analogy, again, from David Booth. And this is a quote from a, a piece he wrote in Market Watch. He said, quote, I haven't met many people who expect stocks to return less than U.S. Treasury bills, right? You don't expect that. T-bills are paying a tiny fraction of a percent. You don't expect stocks to underperform them. And he goes on to say, and yet back when we started Dimensional Fund Advisors in the early 1980s, we found ourselves at the end of a 14-year period where T-bills actually outperformed the stock market. Continuing, he says, I remember a cover of Business Week, I remember this too, proclaiming, quote, the death of equities. People were saying that the stock market would never be positive again. Of course, investors have since experienced one of the longest bull run market runs in history. So it turned. It turned right when it seemed like there was no reason to invest in stocks. Well, right now we're in one of those periods where it seems like we shouldn't be investing in value or small company stocks. Do you know that in 2000, March of 2000, growth, we had a very similar period. We had had a very similar period. Growth stocks beat value stocks in the United States for the past year, for the past five years, for the past 10 years, even for the past 15 years. But just one year later, at the end of March 2001, value stocks had beaten growth stocks in each one of those time periods. It doesn't take much to turn the numbers. That's why we believe disciplined investing is the only thing that works. It's the only thing that works. Maintain your discipline. You're going to get the return of the market. Actually, you're going to get a more stable return of the market over time, much more likely than uh, that if you stay the course than if you try to switch. If you try to switch, that's where those investor returns come in and have in the past at least looked uh, worse than the market's return. So, I mean, we don't know anything about the future going forward, future going forward. That's redundant. We don't know anything going forward, or do we know the future? But we do know the past, and the more of the past we use as our guide, 
the more likely it is to be similar in the future. More data, better than less. Again, you can do a number of things. If you have a question, you can send it into us at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can call 855-935-TALK. You can record your question at TalkingRealMoney.com. And we get the bulk of our questions written to us at TalkingRealMoney.com because I guess people really like typing better. So let's take one of those right now. The subject of this one, Umbrella Insurance Policy. Recently, the Seattle Times had an article on umbrella insurance policies. The writers stated that if you have substantial assets, you may want to consider such a policy because although IRAs are protected in bankruptcy, they are not protected from other creditors, although some states do provide additional legal shields for retirement savings accounts. So it varies from state to state. My wife and I have about $720,000 in rollover IRAs from previous employers, 401k plans at Vanguard, and about $25,000 in Roth IRAs at Vanguard as well. We are not retired yet, just wondering if this is something we need to consider to protect our IRAs or not. Love your show, and thanks for all you do. Well, this is a this is a um, this is one of those. It's really a lifestyle question. It's a it's a how much risk are you willing to take question. The risk of you losing your IRA and all of your assets in a lawsuit are small. They're really very small. It's just that when it happens. Anecdotes carry a lot of power in our brains. But the reality is, the odds aren't high, and that's reflected in the relatively low premiums for insurance policies. The insurance companies know they're not likely to pay out. But anything you pay in insurance is money you don't have anymore, and an insurance company does. So, if you worry at night about a car accident causing something extraordinary that exceeds the coverage on your auto policy or something happening at your house that is so dramatic it exceeds the coverage on your homeowner's policy, it probably, if, if it's worth helping you sleep better at night, then it's worth it. But that's really all, it, it's a lifestyle thing. Does it help you sleep better? Does it help you worry less? If that's important, then it's probably worth it. Financially, I, I, I don't, really believe that you should insure yourself against every possible eventuality, because if you did, you'd probably have no money left. Send your question in, talkingrealmoney.com, or call it in to 855-935-TALK. Let's take one of the phone ones. I was looking for some advice on a portfolio that I have about six, seven stocks, I guess, and I've made about 40% this year, mostly tech issues stuff, and I'd like to get out, but the capital gains tax is so high that it would really crush me. <laughs> so I was just wondering, is there any way to protect a level without selling the stock? Is there any way to protect it till like next year when I'm not going to be taxed so heavily? Uh, that's my question. So thank you. Bye. Oh, you're making money. Darn it. You got really lucky and you made a lot of money. 
Got to hate it. I, I, I tell you, when I have capital gains, I, I, I'm very logical about it. I think, well, at least I have a gain, but it still hurts to hand that money to the IRS. Now, there's nothing you can do to avoid the taxes. Nothing. You know, you're smart enough to realize you got lucky and you need to at least take some of that money off the table. If this is a bad year for doing it, well, maybe you wait till next year. Uh, Or sell some this year, do some tax planning to make sure you don't kick yourself into a higher bracket. There are strategies to defer gains, but they're expensive. They're called options. And the problem is, on volatile tech stocks like these, I looked up uh, a, a put option on, on uh, uh, Tesla. And the premium to sell that in January was like 25% of the price. So that's almost as bad as, in fact, it's probably worse. It is worse than just paying the tax. So I guess what you'd have to do is go look at the put prices what you would pay for a January put at today's price on various issues. But my guess is if they're tech issues, you're going to be looking at 15% put premiums because that's a long put too. That's carried into a new year. You're going to be looking at premiums that are so close to your tax as to make it not worth it. You got the gain, pay the piper, you still come out way, way ahead. Otherwise, there's nothing. There really isn't anything else you can do. Uh, a little tax planning, selling it more slowly over a couple of years, but that there's risk involved there too. But puts, they're really the only way to protect against a decline in the price, and they're pricey. They really are. Oh, let's see. 855-935-TALK. That's our phone number. We got that out of the way. Talkingrealmoney.com. That's our website. You can send questions in there. And let's take one of those. This one is about 401ks. Hey, guys, I love the show. Keep up the good work. Background. I am a married 63-year-old with plans to retire at 65, taking Social Security at 70. Very smart. You get 8% more a year by waiting. I'm waiting until 70. We have 1.9 million in retirement savings with 1.1 million in my 401k. My 401k has a fixed 3% fund that we have approximately 40% invested in with 60% risk funds. Our entire portfolio is approximately 40% fixed, 60% risk, including my 401k. I scored a 64 on your risk quiz. Well, that's probably, you're about right. I am considered, I'm considering creating a baseline within my 401k risk funds and manually transferring earnings above the baseline to my 3% fixed account on a regular basis. What are your thoughts? Thank you. Sure. It's called rebalancing. You get above your comfort level in the risk portfolio You take money automatically off the table at preset dates. That's that's the way I would do it, too. You do it too often, it'll make you crazy, 
and you're going to get caught up in the daily fluctuations of the market, you need to do it maybe once a year, twice a year, uh, on a set date so you're not tempted to go, well, maybe if I wait a couple of days. Uh, but yeah, that's rebalancing. My thoughts are, go do that. And let's sneak one more in real quickly. The subject is question. <laughs> oh, good. It's a question. Hey, Don, my two-year CD, recently maturing 2.3% rate, amount was 400000 I need this money to purchase a home in a year. Wanted to know if it was a good idea to invest in VFXSUX. VFSUX. Vanguard Short-Term Intermediate Grade, uh, a fund that used to be recommended by Merriman. I kept it in my fixed income. Current 30-day yield, 1.17. I can't find anything better looking at bankrate.com. Best CD rates are around 1%. Yep. Note, I adhere to Paul Merriman's 13 fund approach. I'm 60-40, retiring next year at 60. Pension kicks in at 60 as well. 3.6 million, including the 400K. Well, 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 I would still go with the highest rate CD you can find at bank rate. And let me tell you why. You need that money to close on a house. If you can stand a little volatility, I guess, you're going to be okay in the intermediate term. But, 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 but you might have more volatility than you're comfortable taking. And so you can go to a couple of banks out there. I'm looking at a credit union that's paying 1.1. Oh, that's a three-year. What's a one-year? Let me find one years. Hold on. I don't want three years. How did they get into my mix? I just want one. All right, so we're looking at, uh, yeah, about 1%, nine-tenths of a percent. That You're only getting two-tenths of a percent more, and you're taking risk that I would rather not take. You can get 90 basis points easily at a number of different banks. As a matter of fact, you're in Colorado. Colorado Federal Savings Bank is paying nine-tenths of a percent. Uh, Ally Bank is paying nine-tenths of a percent. Uh, NBKC, which is out of Kansas City, is paying 1%. So I think that's probably what I would do. I, I don't think I'd go with the fund because I don't, I don't predict the future. But let's say rates soar right before you need this money and the value drops 10%. Not likely, but it's possible. Would you, do you want to take that risk? It's not likely but it's possible, or 5%, whatever the number might be. I wouldn't. If it's money I need for a down, you play it safe. Thanks for the note. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for all the things you guys do to help make this better. Thank you for all the lovely things you say about us. We really do appreciate that. Being mere humans, we love to hear that you like us. And if you really do like us, please, Tell other folks. The more, the merrier. We want to help everybody become a much better investor. And if you need more high-level help than we can provide in this short-form program, we really mean it when we say there's no high-pressure sales pitch at Vestry, our firm. 
We mean it. And our advisors know that they need to help everybody, whether you have enough to be a client of Vestry or not, whether you ever become a client or not. We're not going to pressure you into becoming one. We will help you. You can set up a free meeting. It's really easy. Just go to Vestry.com, clear down to the bottom of the page, or go to TalkingRealMoney.com, or call 800-386-3004. That's 800-386-3004. That number is answered 24-7 by charming receptionists. So um, I think that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take good care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. You know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.